0: there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy. I want to begin by talking about birthday parties for, for just a second. Uh, and I want to talk in particular about awkward birthday parties. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to an awkward birthday party or not. Uh, what I do for a living and what my wife does for a living, we've been to a million birthday parties. We have, we have literally seen it all. But we were talking <clears throat> about this weird dynamic that can sometimes develop. Uh, in particular, if you have like young kids and you throw a party, uh, what typically happens is you will invite your family over to the uh, for the party, and so grandparents, cousins, all that, uh, aunts and uncles. But then a lot of times you'll invite like your. Set of friends or your kids' set of friends, and they'll come to the party as well. And so the net result is you have basically two of your worlds colliding. You've kind of got your family, and then you kind of got your friends and your acquaintances. And when they converge together at a birthday party, it happens every single time. The family will kind of meal around here, and then the friends will kind of be over here mealing around together. And if you're hosting the party, you're wearing yourself out, making sure your family's okay and they don't feel uncomfortable and your friends are okay. You just can't get them uh, to to intermingle. And there's a little awkwardness to it. It's because you have two different worlds that are colliding. Uh, Today, we're gonna jump back into our series, The Heart of the Savior. And we're going to literally see two worlds that collide. We're going to see two massive groups of people that converge on each other. And we'll watch these uh, worlds collide. One group uh, is in a very, very dark place. And the other group, man, they're just living life on mission. They're just following Jesus. Now, before I go any further, let, let me set our text up this morning Uh, by by mentioning something. I think there are things that there are events or circumstances in life that you would do very well to not interrupt. There are just certain things that we shouldn't interrupt. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Maybe your boss, maybe she's giving a presentation in front of her bosses and you're sitting in there and midway through her presentation, you just stand up and say, that's hogwash! right? You're probably not going to be employed if you do that to your boss. You don't interrupt her during uh, a meeting like that. If you're in high school or you're in college and and your professor or teacher is giving a lecture, uh, you probably shouldn't interrupt. Maybe your loved one is is having open-heart surgery, and you've got this skilled surgeon in the OR room. It's probably not a good idea to burst into the OR room and say, "Are you done yet?" Um, you, you don't want to interrupt those things. I, I think it would be—I've never—I've done a lot of weddings, but I've never had this happen. I think it would be very awkward and very rude to interrupt someone's wedding. You know, they—I object that that kind of—you know—just uh, to totally dismantle uh, somebody's uh, beginning together. Just things that wouldn't be smart to interrupt. But by far, I think the most awkward event to interrupt would be a funeral. Uh, Because at a funeral, man, you've got people who are mourning. You've got people who are devastated. uh, You have people who who, just have this somber attitude. And it would just be very rude to interrupt a funeral. Now, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I've never interrupted a funeral, but I would be lying. Uh, I have. Unfortunately, and let me just make this note, unintentionally, I interrupted a a funeral. Uh, It happened when I was in college. I've shared this part of this story with you, so I'll give you the shorter version. I played basketball in college for Mid-Atlantic Christian University. It's a little Bible college. And I think a lot of times uh, when you think of athletes in colleges traveling, you think, oh, it's pampered. They're on, uh, you know, uh, comer- they're on flights or, or maybe they have a chartered bus and it's, and it's just so easy. That is not how it operated for, for us and our team. We were a poor Bible college. And so we traveled up and, Coast, traveled up and down the East 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 Coast, 15 passenger vans that were donated to the Bible College after a church had like run them through, you know, the teenagers had spilled stuff. They were just nasty. That's how we traveled. And so we were always breaking down. And I'll never forget, we were in West Virginia and there, there was a, there only 10 of us traveled Uh, We had 10 players, five managers, a coach, and an assistant coach. So we had two vans. Well, one of the vans broke down uh, and had to be towed. And so our coaches dropped all of us in Nowheresville, West Virginia, at a Hardee's. I don't know if you've ever eaten at a Hardee's, but that's that's not my favorite place. So we we were at a a Hardee's, and we were kind of outside. We were there for hours waiting for this other van to be fixed. And so um, I have a small case of ADD, I, I can't sit still, I get bored, and so I was getting very bored, and you're going to have to kind of use your imagination here with me. It was in one of these towns of West Virginia where everything's kind of plateaued, right? And so you have these like ridges and hills, and so here we are kind of down in the bowl in the main epicenter of town outside at a Hardee's, <clears throat> uh, and I, I look up. And I see on the first plateau this beautiful little chateau, this beautiful little chateau, this beautiful little chateau, this beautiful little is and some trees. And then there's another street above it with some a few more houses. And then there's another street above it as you're looking up where there's a railroad track, and there was a train parked there, and it had it had been parked there for hours. So I said to two of my friends, "Hey, let's go check out that train." So we walk all the way around, go up the plateaus. We're kind of mealing around the train. Well, all of a sudden, the train starts to just slowly move. And I said, wouldn't it be great to ride on a train? Like, I've always wanted to hop a train. So we jump on the train, and we're literally going like five miles an hour. All right. Now, what we're trying to do is when we're up here on the train, we have the rest of our basketball team down here kind of looking up. So we're trying to get their attention. So we're on the train moving, and I'm like, hey! here, look, you know, just screaming and hollering. What I didn't know is that little church that was between us sitting here with a little row of trees had a cemetery and there was a graveside funeral going on. And so we thought we were communicating to our friends down here at Hardy's, but we were actually interrupting a funeral. It took about 90 seconds and a police car came screaming in and that officer was livid. I was scared to death. I was like 19, 20 years old. And he said, I get down from that train right now. And he proceeded to tell us it's illegal to get on a train. He said, But I don't even care about that. He said, There is a funeral going on right there at that church, and you have just totally disrupted that funeral. He said, Get in the car. And so <laughs> all the guys are big like me. So there's three six foot five to six foot eight guys in the back of a police car. And I'm thinking, My dad's going to kill me. Like, I, I know I'm an adult now, but I am going to die because I'm, I'm going to be arrested. And so he starts driving and he's lecturing us. And I, I think he's taking us to the police station. He doesn't. He takes us to uh, the car repair shop where the van is and where my coach is, makes us sit in the police car. I, it's one of those windows. You can see I see him walk in and uh, our basketball coach had polio when he was little. So he had a, a kind of a, a, an arm that was kind of like this but whenever he was stressed out, he would go like this, just like that, with, with that arm. So I see the police officer talking to him, and I see him shake his head, and he just goes like this, and then he comes out to the car. Uh, I got suspended. I couldn't play in the first half of the game we went to, uh, and, um, you know, it's a great story, but to this day, I really literally wish that I knew who was in that little cemetery trying to say goodbye to their loved ones where where this idiot interrupted them so I could like humbly apologize to them from the bottom of my heart. Well, in the text that I'm about to read you, Jesus and his disciples literally interrupt a funeral. You're gonna see two different worlds That are about to collide. So I want to read the text in its entirety, and then we'll go back and make a few points. We're in Luke chapter seven, picking up in verse eleven. It says, "Soon afterward, he Jesus went to to a town called Nain, and his and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow." And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, Fear. Seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. All right, so I want to go back through this text, and 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 when we do, I want to show you three things. I, I want to show you three ways in which these two worlds collided. And I want to just Start right out of the gate with point number one. The first thing I want you to notice is that you have two crowds that meet. So let's go back to the text, pick up in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples, now don't miss this, and a great crowd went with him. I try to tell you this as often as I can, we have got to get Renaissance Jesus out of our heads. We've got to get Jesus and his 12 little hippies wearing Birkenstocks, just kind of following him around. Wherever Jesus went, he had a great crowd. People were pressing and pulling and tugging at him. If you had a child that was dying and you knew Jesus could save that child, how hard would you fight to get to Jesus? So he he has all of these people around him. So Jesus is coming into this town with a great crowd. All right, let's continue. Verse 12, as he drew near the gate of the town, he's going to walk right through the main street of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now don't miss this. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So, so here's what you have. You have Jesus and a great crowd coming into town, you have this woman and her son, this funeral procession, leaving town, and these crowds converge. I have to think it might have been a lot like Atlanta was, the city of Atlanta was, last weekend for Labor Day weekend. You had a great crowd coming to the city of Atlanta. Most of them were for Oregon or, or from Athens, but you had these college football kickoffs, so you had all these people coming in, and then you also, I think you had Dragon Con, come in. And I always wonder about visitors that come on this weekend when they see like, go dogs! And then they see these comic book characters. I wonder if they're like, what is going on in this city? But so you had all these people coming in, but then you probably had a considerable crowd leaving Atlanta last weekend, right? To, to, so they don't want to be around the crowds or perhaps they're going to the lake or the beach. And so crowd coming in, crowd going out. All right. And then look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Now, I, don't, I just want to pause and say compassion is the whole ideology behind this series. When Jesus acts, interacts, or reacts with people, it's with love and compassion. But I want to go back to this concept of these two crowds that meet for a second. One is a great crowd, and one is a considerable crowd. One is a dark crowd. You literally have a crowd marching out of the city towards the cemetery, towards death. They're in a funeral procession. Then you have the other crowd who follows Jesus, who we're told is the light of the world and the author and the perfecter of life. And they're marching with Jesus, with life, towards life. And I think the thing that I just want to pause for a second and pull out to apply to everybody in here in your personal lives is I want you to understand something. We are part of one of those two crowds, period. There is no middle ground. We are either with Jesus or we're not with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. See, there's only two crowds. There's those who are walking with Jesus towards eternal life and those who are walking without Jesus towards eternal death. And so the fact of the matter is this. We either have Jesus or we don't. We either have salvation or we don't. We're either walking with Jesus or we're not. There is no middle ground. In the book of Revelation, there was a church in Laodicea that tried to do that. And Jesus said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're not for me, you're not against me, so you're really against me. I will spew you out of my mouth. You see, all of us, we walk down the same road, this road of life. We all walk it, we all walk the same path. But at some point, that road forks, and we've got to decide which fork we're going to take. And the Bible says there's a large crowd marching towards death. It's a well-traveled road. It's a broad road and many people travel it. But then the Bible says there's this narrow road and not many people walk on it. And it's taking us to eternal life. I love what Warren Wearsby, a commentator says about this event that we're studying. And I don't want you to miss this. Here's what he says, quote, Jesus, Was heading for the city while the mourners were heading for the cemetery. End of quote. And I want you to think about that for just a second. In our lives, spiritually speaking, we are marching to one of those two places. We're either marching to the city or we're marching to the cemetery. We're one of two parts of those, or one of two crowds. So think. If you have trusted Jesus, and even though you sin, you're going to mess up, but you know Jesus has you covered. You know Jesus gives you life. If you have Jesus in this life, you are literally marching towards the city of Zion, the holy city of God. Hebrews 11.10, For he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation, whose designer and builder is God. So either We're either marching towards the city, or if we're dead in our sins, We're already in the cemetery. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. So listen to me. Man, you've got to decide. What crowd are you in? Where are you marching to? Fathers, dads, spiritual leaders of the house. Where are you leading your family to? Are you leading them to the city? Or are you leading them to the cemetery? And so there's some decisions and some changes that might need to occur because we're in one of these two crowds. Now, listen, sometimes these crowds collide, right? At work, at school, in different places. And so you're going to disperse and you're going to intermingle. You're going to intermingle. at odds, And they're going to separate and march in different directions. You and I have to decide which crowd we're going to follow. Wayne Rice was a, a very prominent youth minister when I was in youth ministry like 20 years ago. Um, and, I know, more like 30. Uh, and anyway, he, he wrote a bunch of books. And he had this one illustration that, that I always loved. And I, I'm, I'm assuming it, it was with a, a girl in his youth group. Uh, she was going to be a senior. It was the summer before her senior year. Uh, and she was a cheerleader. She was a very gifted cheerleader. Probably going to have some scholarship opportunities, uh, but she was also a, a devout Christian. She loved her church. She loved her youth group. Well, her and her youth group they had a a mission trip planned for like the end of the summer before school started to Guatemala. Well, her coach got wind of this and brought her into the office and said, "Listen, you can't go on this mission trip. Like school's about to start. The first football games in two weeks. We've got to practice." And she said, no, 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 I'm going on this mission trip. I made a commitment. Those people are counting on me. And her coach said, well, that's fine, but I want to tell you, if you decide you're going to go on this trip and not come to practice for a week, I want you to bring your uniform in tomorrow because you're off the team. So she went home and prayed about it, talked to her parents about it, um, actually called her youth pastor, talked to probably Wayne and talked to him about it. The next morning she showed up at school and she walked into her Cheerleading, cheerleader's uh, co- cheerleading coach's office, with her uniform, and she said, "Hey, I'm 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 going on this mission trip," and her coach just was devastated and said, "I, I can't believe you're doing this. Like you've got potential. You 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 could probably get a scholarship uh, at a, at a very prestigious college, and and, and you're just going to throw it away for a mission trip." Well, very kindly, this 17-year-old girl, wise beyond her years, with love, simply said to her coach, she said, coach, I think maybe you were under the assumption that I was a cheerleader that just happened to be a Christian. But that's not true. I'm a Christian that just happens to be a cheerleader. Here's your uniform. See, two crowds are going to meet. And we've got to decide which crowd we're in. We've got to decide which crowd we're leading our children toward, the city or the cemetery. Number two, when these worlds collide, you see something else happen. You see two only sons meet. Look at the text. Look at verse 12. As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died and was being carried out, the only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So you have, I'm just gonna real quick in passing because we're running out of time. You You have two only sons that meet. You have a one son that is dead, laying on a stretcher, but he is destined to be risen, to be alive again. Then you have the other son, Jesus, who was alive, but he was destined to die on a cross. And that's just a picture for us. When Jesus met us, scripture says we were dead in our transgressions. We were chained up. Our sin consumed us. There was no way out. But he brought our souls literally back to life. But in order to do this, he had to die. So you have two crowds meet, you have two only sons meet, and then finally, you have two enemies that meet. Two enemies. Look at verse 14. Then he came up and he touched the bier. A, a bier is like a coffin, but it's open. It's like an open stretcher that you would take a person out of their home, go through the city out to the tombs, and, 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 and then you would uh, bury them. So he touched, so he touched, so he, he touched, so he, he touched. He says, I love this. Young man, I say to you, Arise, and I love this. If you're a wrestling fan and you follow the Undertaker, you're going to get this picture very well. And the dead man sat up. He just—he was there, and he just popped up, and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Do you realize how weird that had to be? How how incredibly fearful that people had to have been to to witness that. Before I was a preacher, I was a teacher at a middle school. And the the first building that I taught in for three years used to be a funeral home, And so uh, my classroom was literally one of the old like viewing rooms. And I would sit, especially if I was there by myself at night, like grading papers, I'd be like, you know, I wonder how many dead people have in in this room, and it really was kind of an eerie, kind of always on edge, kind of freaked me out, Uh, the cafeteria, uh, the cafeteria, uh, the cafeteria, uh, the cafeteria embalming room, right? So this is a weird setup. Well, on the bottom of this building, there's this huge basement, and the people, when they sold the funeral home to the school, they left some things in the basement, including three coffins. So there were three coffins down there and all the supplies were down there. And so every now and then I would have to go down to the basement and, uh, and get supplies. And I always got creeped out because there was coffins there. And sometimes we would send kids down to get supplies as well. Well, I- I'll never forget uh, a buddy of mine. We-, we taught school together and we were actually roommates for a while. But we had these two boys. They were so annoying. They were like, they were the kids. If you're a teacher, like the first week, you're like, oh man, it's going to be a long year right? Yeah, some teachers were like, amen. And All right, so I said, you know, we're going to teach them a lesson. I said, so here's what I want you to do. I said, I'm going to go down and get one of them coffins in the basement. I'm going to lay there, send those two boys down to get whatever pencils, whatever supplies they need. And, uh, and so I go down, and I get in the coffin, and I shut it. And then all of a sudden, I realized, man, I'm kind of claustrophobic. This is I don't like this, hurry up. And so I'm starting to kind of panic a little bit and I finally hear them come down and I, and I hear their voices and they get closer and closer to the coffin. And I just throw that door open and just rise up just like that. I didn't even have to say anything. I, I have never heard two seventh grade boys sound like two seventh grade girls. Such a high-pitched squeal. They ran out faster than I've ever seen them run. And then later that night, I had to call their parents and apologize uh, because they were traumatized. They were scared to death because dead people don't sit up and talk. So Jesus touches this man and says, I say to you, arise. And whoop, he sits up and he talks. Look, look exactly the reaction that you would expect in verse 16. Fear sees them all. They were afraid and they glorified God saying, I'm going to paraphrase. They're saying, this guy's different. This is a great prophet. Truly, this is this, God has visited us. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. You see, right here, when that man was laying on the stretcher dead and Jesus was walking up to him, you had two enemies collide. You had Jesus, the author and the sustainer of life, collide with the ultimate enemy, death. And we know who won because the man rose up and speak. We know that Jesus has the power over death. And so we need to understand that. And I think that's something that we need to cling to. The fact that, that one day we too will rise up and speak. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So we don't have to fear death because we're going to defeat death. Did you know the Bible tells us that the last enemy that we face as Christians is death? That's the last enemy. I got good news. They're talking about the second death, the eternal separation from God. The good news is the game's already been won. Did you know that? Like, pick up your Bible, read the end. We win. Jesus destroys death. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, that enemy has been destroyed for you and I, the Christian. So listen, we don't have to fear death because death has lost its sting. We don't have to be afraid. Oh, my goodness, am I going to die alone? Because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thou art with me. Thou, because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the picture we have is Jesus destroying death so that we can have eternal life. Verse 15, I don't know if you noticed this. I'm winding down here. As soon as the young man raises from the dead and speaks, do you notice what the very first thing Jesus does? He takes him by the hand and he walks him over to his mother. Let's think about that for a second. The hardest death I I feel to absorb is the death of a child. So think how that day started for her. She's mourning, walking through the streets, all hope is lost, maybe even agitated, trying to get out of the city, and this guy and all these people are, you know, in our way, interrupting our funeral. But within within a matter of just a few words, there is her son, alive, standing in front of her. I can only imagine that she gave him the biggest hug that anyone could ever receive. And what I want you to understand as we wind this thing down is this serves as a picture to remind us that people can kill the body, but they can't destroy the soul. Death has no power over us. That we will be brought back to life and reunited with our loved ones. I want to I read a, a verse of Scripture. It's five verses or six verses, so hang in there. And it talks about when Jesus comes back, and it talks about this reunion that we'll have with loved ones. Just, just follow along or listen. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul wrote it. He says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Then let me stop there because he's going to use that term, asleep. Uh, in the Bible, when that term means dead. Just a nice way of saying he's sleeping with the fishes. All right? For those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Push the pause button right there. You know, I've been to a lot of birthday parties, but I've been to a lot of funerals. And I've been to funerals for believers, and I've been to funerals where everyone knew that person wasn't a believer. And there is a stark contrast in the mood at those funerals. Because there is a group of people that know that person has no hope, but when you do for a funeral for a, for a believer in Christ and you know they have hope, we don't grieve the same way. Because it's not goodbye; it's save me a seat. I'm coming. Right, verse fourteen. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, from the from rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. No, here's where it gets really cool. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He'll rip the sky open. You'll hear an angel cry. You'll hear the trumpet of the Lord, all that stuff. The cry with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You want to talk about the ultimate family reunion? Here it is. We're going to be reunited in the air with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I'm just simply here to encourage you with these words. Listen, we've all lost loved ones. There are people that we, we miss so bad. We, we, we it just, There's a hole left in our hearts. But we've got to plant our hope and our trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And if if they were in the Lord, if they had faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to see them again. Remember David, King David, he lost his baby. His baby died. And and while the baby was sick, he was mourning and tearing his clothes. And as soon as the baby died, he got up and he took a shower. And they they said, you're supposed to be crying now. You're supposed to be mourning now. You remember what David said? He said, well, there's nothing I can do. He's not coming back. But one day... I shall go to him. And so we cling to that hope. One day we'll be reunited with our loved ones. I think there's a lot of people who have fears about dying, not because they're afraid of death, but they don't want to leave their children. They don't want to leave their spouses. I offer you the same hope. We'll be reunited. You'll see them again. Listen, we have that hope Because Jesus is stronger than the grave. Death is not the end, it's the beginning of new life. We will rise from the grave because Jesus has power over sin and death. So I ask you this morning as we conclude this message what crowd are you in? Are you marching to the holy city of God or are you marching to the cemetery? Are you afraid of death, or do you live in the promise that death has lost its sting for you? And the reason death has lost its sting is because God's only begotten Son died on our behalf. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.